0: I think it's actually better to try to teach and present electronics engineering from the top down. There's a problem you're trying to solve. And what skills and technologies do you need to solve it?
1: That's Lemur Freed, founder of Adafruit. And this is the Read Me Podcast, a podcast that takes a peek behind the curtain at some of the most impactful open source projects developers who make them happen. I'm B Dougie, a.k.a. Brian Douglas.
2: And I'm Kathy Korovac.
1: In every episode, Kath and I invite a maintainer, or open source developer, into our studio to explore their work, their story, and where the two meet.
2: In this episode, we speak with Limor, who seeded the idea for Adafruit when she was a student at MIT. As you will hear in the interview, she decided to make her own MP3 player, and this triggered an interest from those around her and beyond to make their own electronics as well. It all started with empowering people with the tools and allowing their creativity and knowledge to lead the way. Seeing that there was this desire for people to make their own electronics, and wanting to satisfy that, Limor started Adafruit, an open-source hardware company based in downtown New York City. Adafruit provides the tools for people all over the world to make anything electronic they can imagine. This all started in 2005, and by 2014, Adafruit had a revenue of $33 million, and today it has 100 employees. In this conversation, Limor talks about the birth of Adafruit, its philosophy, and how open source plays into it all. Limor, welcome. Hi. I feel like you're you're kind of a legend. Yes. I, I feel so privileged to talk to you. All cool. right, well, it was awesome to be
0: here. I'm, hang, I'm hanging out in the GitHub.
1: Tell us about your first earliest computer interaction memory. It's a good way to start the conversation.
0: Okay. Wow. Uh, my first computer... <laughs> interaction memory well i don't i don't know this like my very 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 first because i was pretty young um i'm i was pretty lucky that my my dad is a professor and so he used computers he was a professor that would use computers in math analysis and so we had a we had a home computer pretty early um basically like 84 85 which was which was pretty soon um, but i we had like a mac 512k and uh, these were these were adorable little computers, and uh, I liked playing games on them. That, you know, people would swap disks around, and I would use ResEdit, and I would like change all the icons. This is what we did before Fortnite. We we used ResEdit to like fuck with programs, so that was kind of fun. I was actually talking to somebody yesterday about you know what they were like. What's like a, your first programming experience? And like technically, it was with this program called Adventure Game Toolkit, which was a text adventure programming system again before fortnight all we had was text adventures <laughs> uh-huh. right and i was like oh i want to write a text adventure and so there's this tool called adventure game toolkit and the biggest challenge for me was i didn't understand that you wrote code in a text file and then applied the compiler to it which like it seems kind of obvious now maybe but at the time you're like well there's there's this thing that makes a program and but i'm like how do i i, I tried double clicking it i didn't realize you have to run it on a file weeks <laughs> weeks it took me but like eventually i figured it out that was the hardest part
2: i feel like pe- people might now I, I mean i don't know they might not understand what a text game is <laughs> um which is kind of sad because i grew up playing text games too um do they
0: not know what text games are i mean i'm, I'm thinking there must be something online that's similar I mean, like there, there's like probably websites where like you, you, you type things in. There's like, there's like text,
2: there's text yeah. games on websites. It's like a things. choose your own adventure. Yeah. Yeah. Kinda. Kinda. <laughs> All right. Anyways,
0: there, there you go. That's your first question answered. Done.
1: All right, moving right along. Also, Sweet. just shout out. There were, I, I watched a Netflix documentary during COVID about the history of video games, and they talk about that. And I think John, John Carmack, I think was was in that documentary as well. I saw this well.
2: one. Yeah, it was really good. I
1: don't remember the name, but <laughs> if anybody wants to go and watch Netflix and learn more about text-based adventure games, there you go.
0: Yeah. Yeah, Infocom was... It, I grew up in, in Boston and Infocom was the company that did these games. Very, very popular, very successful, did like Zork and other ones. And um, they then pivoted to doing database design and like totally destroyed their company.
2: Very impressive. Limor, so you, I think a lot of people probably, especially folks who follow you, they know about Adafruit, I hope, but I uh, am wondering if you can just like tell us a little bit about the inception, the creation, the birth of Adafruit. Right. So I had to write this thesis and I
0: really didn't want to do it like really badly. And so I was like, what can I do to not write this paper? I know I'm going to like build my own mp3 player. That's where I was at. I was, I was kind of looking online and I knew a little bit about electronics. I was studying at computer engineering in school. And so I was like, well, I want to like make things with it. And there was like a crew of people who were all kind of making like LEDs and blinky things. And I found some mp3 player chips. And so I, I decided to make my own mp3 player based on some tutorials online. And so I did that and that was very successful for avoiding writing my thesis. Um, and then I, I, continued to avoid my thesis by doing other projects. They just kept coming because the procrastination can make you very prolific. Um, and eventually I did have to write this paper and, and I graduated and I was making stuff like synthesizers and like, um, little like pocket games, like DIY, like game boy type things. And, um, Was posting them online on blogs and folks were really um, into them and they wanted to build them. And the way electronics kind of works is that basically the price for buying one set of parts is like $30, but buying enough parts to make 100 is only 10 times as much like it's it's very it's very non-linear like it you know if you Mm -hmm. buy enough parts to buy 100 kits worth it's not that it's it's not that much more than just buying parts for one because there's just high setup cost, especially for a circuit board and so folks were emailing me and like hey i want to buy a kit of these parts will you sell me a kit and um i actually was working at the time at like a small startup but um for fun i was like yeah sure i'll i guess i'll do that let's Let's do runs, you know, do a run of 100 kits. Like now they would call it a group buy, but I don't think we had that word yet. Uh, but it was basically group buy and I would, uh, you know, I had a little PayPal button and people would uh, like send me 20 bucks and I'd send them a kit. And then I just kind of kept doing that. And I would sort of like make new kits every once in a while. And uh, it's fun because I get to make new things constantly. I'm not mm-hmm. stuck with like one thing that I have to, well, I have to support stuff, but I'm not, I'm not like making one thing and iterating on it as much as kind of like doing new, interesting things, whatever sort of attracts my attention.
2: That's awesome. So like um, that,
0: but now I have a hundred
2: employees. So, okay. So you've opened the doors in a lot of ways, kind of like being a woman pioneer in this male dominated industry, making hardware development more accessible to hobbyists. Can you discuss some of the challenges that you faced along that path? Yeah,
0: it actually turns out, like, when when you run GCC, if you're a woman, you have to add extra dashes to the flags. No, not really. <laughs> yeah, like, writing, writing, code, really? writing code and doing electronic. <laughs> yeah, I fooled you for a second. Um, yeah, like, it doesn't actually make any difference. It sucks to write code and, and debug things, uh, even if you're a lady. But here's something kind of neat. If you're a woman or if you're like underrepresented in your hobby or profession, you're going to be underestimated a lot, which is very powerful, right? Because they mm-hmm. never see you coming. So I've tried to use that as like my special power because people are like, oh, there's no way like she's going to do this. Like there's no way she'll, she'll design this. There's just no way they'll put me out of business. And then I put them out of business.
2: And then you, and then you're the first woman on the cover of Wired magazine. <laughs> Just take them out. Yeah, yep. why not? <laughs> that's awesome. I love that yeah. perspective. Yeah. So that that's that's my.
0: I'm I'm using this as 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 a as a technique. It's like you you look so harmless. I don't yeah, know, it's a
1: testament forth. to to open source too, as well, and um, how you're able to one put together kits uh, for things you were interested in at the time, yeah. and maybe other folks are interested in. Yeah. Uh, but also being able to grow community around this too as well so have you seen adafruit wasn't the first project company to put together kits for hardware computers but uh are you seeing a trend in folks really adopting hardware computing through i guess interacting with adafruit
0: well i i so so my my thing is i personally find engineering and making electronics and all this stuff very interesting I don't know what's wrong with me. I, I personally like it. I enjoy it. I think that trying to convince people that electronics and computing is interesting on in its own terms is not a good idea. Like, I, I, I really don't like how every book that's about like, like, I'm going to learn electronics. I'm reading a book. And like, page one is like, this is an electron. And I'm like, why the fuck are you teaching an electron? Like, nobody cares. Like, nobody cares what an electron is. You're never going to see one. You're never going to interact with one. Like, you deal with them as an abstraction, but it doesn't actually matter. Like, who cares which way it flows? Like, positive, negative, negative, it doesn't matter, right? And I think that there's this obsession with teaching from the from the bottom up in a lot of ways, because it's like, I don't know, like, we learn that in school or something. It's like, you learn, like, an atom, and then you learn a molecule, and then you learn, like, bio, and then you learn cell structure, and then before you know it, you're like, the mitochondria, or the powerhouse, of the cell or whatever, and then goes on and on it goes up in complexity. Whereas I think it's actually better to try to teach and present electronics engineering from the top down. There's a problem you're trying to solve. And what skills and technologies do you need to solve it? And I think if you do it that way, then people are like, oh, I'm in a, a 4-H group and I have a chicken coop that is constantly getting raided by local foxes. Even though I'm not an engineer, I want to design something that's like a motion sensor that will detect when a warm thing is near my chicken coop and sends me an SMS message. But if you had to start from like electrons, you'll never get there and you'll hate it and you'll probably quit. So what I try to do is say like, here's all these cool things that you may want to do. And if you learn engineering to do it, amazing, wonderful. I'm glad. But Nobody would ever say you're not allowed to read a book until you've taken a class in literature. Like, yeah. I, I actually don't know how to like segment a sentence. Like, you know, in school, you learn like, like a noun and an adverb.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I actually don't know what an adverb is right now. Like, if you ask me to point out adverb, I don't, I actually don't know what it is. Like, I know like adjectives and nouns and verbs, but I don't know like all those other things. Sure. But I can read books and understand yeah. them and enjoy them. So I think yeah, take out the tweezers, you know, like remove, remove like the, the, the detail and enjoy the larger scope of what it is, is, is my mm-hmm. idea. I don't even know if yeah, that was, was your gonna, question, but that's my answer.
1: And you're, no, you're that's, that's a great it. answer because drawing it back to, you mentioned about text based adventure games, which also shout out high score is the documentary on Netflix. Okay, good. Was G- I know you're like Googling that,
0: that like, for example, what <laughs> is this? Okay, <laughs>
1: but you also mentioned Fortnite in comparison to tech space adventure games. Like, no one needs to go back and play the original games. It would be fun, and you could probably find them and and hang out with those. Yeah. But also, if you want to play Fortnite, play Fortnite. And, do,
0: absolutely, and there's people, yeah. and there's and I think like there's people who probably do cool things where they like program keyboards to automatically like, you know, create forts or like auto. You know, do machine learning to uh, on their PCs so they can like automatically detect things in the space. Like you can do cool things with computation and electronics and and sensors. Whatever your game may be, you actually have a lot of people do cosplay and like they want to have costumes that look like their characters. You can't cosplay as text adventure. I mean, you probably could, but it'd be weird because you just have like a lamp. And like a Gru, and what does a Gru even look like? I don't know. And like a piece of paper with a map on it, right? Like it's not. I mean, you guess you could, you could cosplay, but it'd be pretty
2: obscure. It'd be really (laughs) obscure.
0: I mean, it it would look cool at Dragon Con because everyone would be like, "That's so obscure. That's like the third character in like."
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, like the people who would get it would would get it right, and they would be so stoked. So, so stoked. Yeah. But
0: anyway, so people like to do, to do cosplay. They like a lot of cosplay. is like they have to do a lot of electronics now. They have to add the LEDs. Mm-hmm. Everything's like glowing and like making noises. But they're not learning electronics and then doing cosplay. They're doing cosplay. And they're like, I really want to make this glowing sword that when I poke something with it, it makes the noise that yeah. the, the sword makes in the game.
2: You know... Speaking of like things that are glowing and things that are making noise, like all of that Mm -hmm. kind of stuff. So you've got this big warehouse in New York City where Mm -hmm. everybody works in your company. And I'm trying to picture it in my head, like all of these parts, all of these light bulbs, all of these things like coming to life in this warehouse. I've never seen a photo of it, actually. Can you describe Mm. what it looks like to us? Yeah, so well, it looks like it looks like every photo you've ever seen
0: of electronics manufacturing. Now, there's so there's <laughs> there's um the 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 main like engine is this pick and place line, and the pick and place line is something that basically takes circuit boards, which are these custom CAD design things that look a lot like what my background is on Zoom, which you guys can't see because you're hearing my voice, but it, it's got traces on it. And when people think of like circuit board style, that's that's what it is. Except it's designed to actually connect traces and components together in the right order. And I design those, and I send those out, and they get manufactured at a factory that does that. And and there, it's a chemical process. We can't do it. You need to basically mm-hmm. have a setup to do it. And you have to be doing it 24 hours so you can recycle the, the chemicals, which, again, we wouldn't do. And then we have the circuit boards. We have these components. The components come on, like, reels. Like, they're just spun around on, on spools, basically, of components. And then the pick and place, you load it in. And then it has these little pickup nozzles and it can pick up the components off of these spools and place them into the right location on the circuit board that then goes through the oven and it kind of melts the components into place. And then we have to test them and program them. But that's that's kind of the engine and everything else is sort of like the support network for the machine line.
2: Okay, so when you walk into your office, like what's the feeling you get as the creator of all of this, as the head of this company? When you walk into that building,
0: it's pretty cool. I mean, we've got like some awesome people. I really like the folks that we've hired because they're people from New York. We look like New York. We're New Yorkers. We you know we just hired a bunch of people because we, you know, we're finally getting back into business. Business is kind of starting to pick up a little bit again. And these are people who are like, you know, I I have kids and I want health insurance and I want a job in New York and I want something that's reliable and something that you know gives me uh, benefits and stability. And that's what we are. We're like, we, we like being this member of a community and mm-hmm. having uh, all these New Yorkers from all around the, the boroughs and some New Jersey and some Connecticut, of course. I'll come here and it's just we try to make it a really good place for them to work and um, a really fulfilling place, like where we're actually making something that helps people during covid we were making face shields and we were helping make uh, bridge ventilator components mm-hmm. and we were helping people with you know actually one of our recent projects that became very popular is we um, uh, have projects to make uh, co2 sensors that you can put around schools and offices and buildings and they show you the the co2 levels which is a very good way of um, analyzing your airflow because actual, mm-hmm. actual airflow analysis is like a total pain in the ass to do you need, like I don't know, fans and sensors. But this thing, it just tells you, like, do you have enough fresh air? And if you don't open up the window. And so the, those are actually it's a popular project for people to make now for their classrooms or for their offices or for their homes. What we're doing is is really helpful to people. And we're able to move very quickly
2: for what the engineering community needs or wants. Mm-hmm. I want to ask you a question about the about the repositories, but we can okay. come back to that too. Just right, ask me now. We're I don't, I don't here. I well before we get there, Brian, you want to ask this question about yeah. um, Here we this have. next one about about lo- keeping keeping the company local?
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, you had mentioned that the company looks like New York. Uh, yes, you representation of all the boroughs, Connecticut, New Jersey, as well. Yes, like
0: um, will also count. We we love them. <laughs>
1: Excellent. Well, I think everybody listening from there appreciates that and yes, um, the shout out. But um can you talk about the value and why you 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 value that um the company that looks like New York and it's representation of folks from local community?
0: Yeah. So, what's what's really neat about um the work that we do and I'm going to I'm going to be just like a, a little bit mean to the city. So I'm really sorry for anybody listening from the city. That's okay. I feel like if you're from New York, it's okay. If no, you no, like literally from like the city government. So, so the city government oh, was okay. always, they were always kind of like, oh, don't you need to have like Ivy League, like engineer trained people to do this stuff? Like hint, hint, like we should open up campuses and like get Cornell to move here. And I was like, no. I I, I, like we have people who haven't even graduated high school working for us. They have a GED and it's like, I can train them to do electronics manufacturing. Like if you have good documentation and you're willing to work with people like folks from New York are like, they're so hardworking and they're so focused and they're just like, like they're just so there, you know, they, they, they want to, live their lives. They almost always have something else going on. They have families they're raising or they're, they're doing theater or, you know, they love photography or, you know, they're, they're volunteering in some of the nonprofits. Like almost everyone who works for us has something else going on. And so Adafruit is for, for those people, I want Adafruit to be like a stable place that they can come in, they can do the work, and then when they're when they're done, they go home and like they don't have fifteen hundred GitHub repos to get emails from. They they're they're moving on to their next thing. So, I I think for me it's worked out. Like we've always hired from within. So like our CFO started in kidding, and our COO you know is a painter who came in did facilities work and, and moved up into being a COO. Everyone who works for us like nobody was hired externally as like, come in and be the manager. These are all people who they worked at restaurants and they, they hated it. Or they worked at like urban outfitters and they eventually hated it. Or, you know, they worked at any other entry-level retail or service job. And they're like, eventually um they're like, you know, I'm I'm kind of tired of that. I want a job that I can manage people and, and learn these skills. Um But I'm not dealing with customers, like also yelling at me at the same time. So, and, and it's really worked. Like we have very, very little turnover, like people who work with us.
2: They work with us for like 10 years. That's really cool. I mean, you know, I, yes. I was listening to on Friday afternoon, I was like, oh, I'm going to check out Twitter while I'm on my walk today. And I see it and it, it, there's, there's the notification says Brian Douglas is speaking right now in Twitter spaces. And it happened to be this really great conversation all about getting Getting people involved in tech and in coding, and like what there there were four guys, and some of them I hadn't heard of, um, but mostly from Atlanta, and uh, they were all talking about like different ways that they have seen and that they're doing with their companies and in their open source projects to get people involved in coding. And one of the coolest things is that you know, like just through open source, and maybe like now we can talk about your fifteen hundred repos, Fuck but yeah. <laughs> through open source, there's this like like automatic almost democratization of code, and I wonder if you can talk to that a little bit. Like Adafruit is you know a, h- a hardware company, and I feel like not everybody knows. That you maintain fifteen hundred repositories, and I mean, maybe not maintain them, but you have you have no, all I, of this code out there. I
0: absolutely get emails for each one.
2: <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you do. So I think um, I think
0: it's like you know, like that. Yeah, take it, steal it. You know, the the whole history of computers yeah. is all about theft. Um, you know, and property theft. Theft is property. So if you see some code you like, take it. You know, I mean, yes, once in a while, if you're a very big company, you'll end up going to court over it. But for the most part, individuals they don't. And you should you should just take whatever you see, because in my opinion, and, you know, I know people, they're like, oh, we need the copyright to maintain the GPL. And, and that's great. And there's some people who, who are more Apache left or copyleft, whatever. But but in my opinion, it's like this co- code sucks so much. OK, coding is so bad. It's, it's horrible. You're, you're (laughs) typing numbers into a computer
2: secret, everybody. Okay. No, I mean, (laughs) it's like true. It's,
0: it's really terrible. I mean, like you can get to a zone and you can be addicted to it, but it's like Uh actually not, it's not good for you. In my opinion, I don't think so. Like I feel really bad after typing numbers into a computer for like seven or eight hours. I don't know about you.
2: Yeah. No, I do too. I think we can admit to that. Yeah. So it's the reward afterwards of like seeing the thing be made. That it's amazing. It's so worth it. It it, it like makes you black out all the rest of the pain. Right.
0: But it's it's (laughs) terrible. And so I'm I'm sort of like any any code that somebody can take or any design they can take and then they use it like would be great and and then good for them. Like I've actually just I've just kind of evolved past the like thinking of people using my code as as like oh they took something like I just I, mm-hmm. I just don't really care anymore it's like I hate you know it's like oh you stole my rabid opossum like why would I why am I angry it's like okay if you gave it a good yeah. home like congratulations it bit me
2: you know <laughs> like, I mean it's really interesting because like the 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 artist community is a lot like this too like there's There's this concept of like, there's no original art. Um, And my sister is an artist in New York. And so she's going to listen to this and totally be like, I can't believe you said that. Um, But, you know, it's the definition of art is borrowing of ideas. What? It's anything that's in an art gallery. Yeah. (laughs) Yep, Exactly. But but I love that like you know and, and what you're what you're doing is an is an art and I think open source is an art um, and if you think about it in terms of like you're constantly borrowing stealing you're constantly, you're like then pushing this thing forward you're taking it making it your own turning it into something
0: yeah else. there's there's too much obsession about trying to be original and I think mm-hmm. it's um, I think it's actually really toxic and it keeps people from getting to be able to express them because even. Like, okay, like you step into the, you can't step into the same river twice, right? Because you're a different person and it's a different river. Somebody re-implementing, there's there's no point in trying to pretend that anybody implementing or even compiling or running the same program is going to have the same experience as another person. So you you should just let them, you should like give people the tools to do what they want Mm -hmm. and so that they can have their own like self-expression and success in doing it. So there's two parts of that for me. So every time I do like a podcast at the end, I'm always like, you guys aren't going to play this because I didn't talk about anything you wanted. So there's two parts about coding and technology that I think are essential. And at no point is it like the CPU, the amount of RAM or what microcontroller you use. It's whether there is a, a pool of code or designs that people can look at and learn from because we're mimicking animals. We look at how other people did stuff and we mimic it. And then we like, you know, do something a little bit different. And you have to have a community that doesn't suck, that lets people have those experiences. Because if you have a community where immediately it's like, that's lame, you just copied that person. They're, they're never gonna get past the duplication process into the synthesis process. Because mm-hmm. you have to do duplication, but you have to mimic before you can create. Just, it is, it is just, humans are like this, mm-hmm. okay? Some somebody's going to be like, "I'm an evolutionary biologist. I disagree." I don't care. You're not on this podcast. I am right. So you have to you have to mimic first, and then you can create. That this yeah, is true. I love that. But so many people are like they screw you up before you even get past that mimicking state, because for some reason mimicking states are like. There's something people get really attacked by them and they, they get like defensive and they're like, we don't, you know, you're just, you're just copying, you're just cloning. You're not, you're not doing anything original when like, who cares? What we really need is more tutorials on how to blink an LED. Yeah. That's what we need. Yeah. Even though there are 50,000 of them, we need more. Yeah. Because there's always more beginners that haven't experienced it than people who have
2: speaking of beginners what's right. the one piece of advice you wish someone would have told you when you were getting involved in electronics uh who gives a fuck just do whatever you want
1: that is too good <laughs>
0: that is good but
1: so much they truth were, in that d- decide in what decide
0: what you want and then and then do it i think actually it's the hardest part is people don't know what they want but if you if you can figure out what you want you're you're well ahead of most people and then you can you can actually get to that stage Really like to to sew things. I used to make my own clothes, a lot, which were really ugly. But that's okay. It was that's the nineties, okay. and of- big pants were in. I don't want to tell you, like the bigger the pants, <laughs> the better. Just like huge just get lost in them I mean we put drugs in them basically was I think the answer
2: that was the reason why you had big pants I don't remember I grew up in the 90s I don't remember big pants but I grew up in Alaska Mm -hmm. where it's like I don't know we wore like farm clothes (laughs) so (laughs) big furs I don't know
0: um yeah big furs I don't know I don't know what you wear in Alaska I'm assuming like lots of layers
2: yeah you wear lots of layers exactly there's you know I love that you did I love that you that you used to make a lot of your own clothes. There's a lot of actually I I do a lot of knitting. There's a lot of math involved. And I feel like a lot of just like very engineering um focused decisions you have to make when you actually do make your own yeah, clothes. Yeah we had a we had a robotic
0: knitter that we um that we hacked. A while ago, a couple people did it. We, we just okay, drew okay. project. You're and we, speaking my language. Yeah. So I we programmed I it. Like yeah. Yeah. It was like the brother KH something something. And it had these diskettes that you would program it. But of course, like nobody had, like these diskettes were just like they've been demagnetized yep. 30 years ago. So somebody figured out the protocol that you could use to connect to it. And so we basically had this cable with a little bit of hardware and we like did a little bit of like a very little wiring. And then we wrote a Python program and you could basically load a BMP into the printer. And have it print out custom bitmaps, and that was cool. So we started doing QR codes, or like, or like, like video games. Like somebody made a video game that you would, as you knit, the video game would play,
2: would would come out. Yeah, yeah, that's so yeah. cool. So I like have each stage. The stage, you're
0: like your character would move with with the with the knitting machine.
2: And it made, oh, it made you got all the time. you got a, a lot farther than I did. Yeah. <laughs> I have a an Electra brother electric knit, um and yeah, that was it. It was the same thing. It was like I had a little Arduino board, and um, yeah, that was a project. Italy, so you probably you probably use our guide. Yeah, for that. I probably used the same projects. So yeah. So yeah. somebody in in Italy had this open source board that I bought, and they and then I was able to hook it up to my computer, made a little JavaScript um, uh, application, and was uh, was actually able to like run and print my own designs. Yeah, see, and, that's like, fun. the designs I printed were like. Pluses and minuses. It wasn't anything close to what you were doing, but right. But I have a question for you. Yeah.
0: What's an electron?
2: What's an electron?
0: (laughs) Yeah, you have no idea. Yeah. Who cares? It doesn't matter. matter. (laughs) Yeah. It's completely irrelevant to you being able to build a project that used engineering
2: and electronics. You don't need it. Yeah, you don't need it. Well, I mean, technically I needed electron the Application. The structure.
0: Yeah. That's different. And that's not my problem. I, I know, think that's yeah. Google's fault or something. <laughs> yeah.
2: Like, whatever. Yeah. All right. Cool. Excellent. Cool. Fun to geek right, out with it was a pleasure,
1: you. Pleasure, So good to have Lima Freed on the README podcast. To learn more about Lemur and her company, Adafruit, please go to adafruit.com. I'm Brian Douglas, and I'm a developer advocate here at GitHub.
2: And I'm Kathy Korovac. I work in product. The ReadMe podcast is a GitHub podcast that dives into the challenges our guests faced and how they overcame those hurdles. In sharing these stories, we hope to provide a spotlight on what you don't always see in the lines of code and what it took to build the technology that inspires us all.
1: It's been really great spending time with you. The ReadMe podcast is part of the ReadMe project at GitHub a space that amplifies the voices of the developer community, the maintainers, leaders, and the teams whose contributions move the world forward every day. Visit github.com slash readme to learn more. Our theme music has been produced on GitHub by Dan Gorelick with Title Cycles, additional music from Ray Royale and Blue Dot Sessions. The Readme podcast is produced by SoundMade Public for GitHub. Please subscribe, share, and follow GitHub on Twitter for updates on the podcast and all things GitHub. Thanks for listening.